How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Nicely done, Mark. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, glad to be um, back. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Um, it's, it's been a fascinating couple of weeks, though, hasn't it? Yeah, a lot, of things, a lot of things going on right now. Oof, oof. A lot of things going on in the world. So how are you doing, Mark? Haven't seen you. What's been good. going on? Good. Doing real well. Things are good. Family's good. Work is good. Feeling healthy. Things are good, Dr. Joe. How about you? Are you on the New York Times bestseller list yet? Uh, hopefully we're, we'll be there any day. We'll any day? With, with, well, we don't know, but uh, Unleashing the Power of Respect, the I Am Approach. My new book just came out a couple of weeks ago that um, it's actually getting some good traction. So I'm very good. proud of it. And just, you know, having people pick it up and read it. PMC, is that happening? The Pam Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, um, we're actually adding a day this year. Uh, my team is, is um, going to pull off what we're referring to as day zero. So we're going to okay. do the, the full state of Massachusetts. We're going to start at the border of New York on Friday and then go into Sturbridge where it typically starts on Saturday and then do the rest of the pan mass. How much money have you guys raised over the years? Oh, a lot, lots, yeah. lots and lots. And there's still a lot more to be raised because uh, cancer is still there, although they're yeah. treating it and, and uh, doing some amazing research. Um, it's, it's still there and we're going to keep, keep pedaling until it's gone. Good for you. Well, thanks yeah. a lot for all that service. It's it's so important. Oh, thank it's been you. Great. How can people donate to uh, to PAMAS and with uh, you in particular? Well, there the website is pmc.org, um, and if you search for a rider, um, I'd be grateful for any donations. But uh, there's a lot of folks that are riding. Um, but pmc.org, and it talks all about what they've done and how much they've raised. And I think. They raised $60 million last year for a one weekend event. Yeah, it's, wow. it's really something, uh, it's spectacular. The whole event is, is so well run. Yeah. Like I've mentioned it, it's, it's, it's straight gratitude, volunteers, um, spectators, riders, everybody's, it's just one love, you know? Yeah, well, really appreciate you doing that with all your colleagues as well. And for all the Pan Mass folks, thanks so much for, Thank uh, for riding it for this cause. Tom, what's going on with you? Well, all things considered, Dr. Joe, I cannot complain. Uh, it's like I said, it's been a, a real hit the fan kind of week. Um, you know, I shout out to, well, it's strange to say shout out, but you know, thoughts and prayers are all, all I can kind of give at the moment to the people of Ukraine. Yeah. I, there is a, there was a photographer that I met at Khan who I've, gotten pretty close with with family just in the suburbs of kiev Ooh. and it's it's rough i i make sure to keep in touch with her make sure her family's all right but 
sometimes they're just blackouts. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's, it's a, a scary time for the world and for our colleagues in Ukraine. And we have to have faith, but we also we also have to recognize it's an I am. We just don't have to like it. But what can we do to change it? We have to be able to change it. We have to bring people together. We have to be bring people together and and respect is really the key respect and value it may be really hard to understand why people do what they do but rather than judge them let's step back and look again at why they do what they do based on the influence of the four domains and really that's that's that includes uh, the way people are portrayed in the media uh, which is a big big part of what we're going to be talking about tonight so with that in mind tom could you please introduce our guest for tonight. Well, Dr. Joe, I had the honor of taking part in a project, a feature-length documentary chronicling portrayals of autism in the media, firsthand accounts from people on the spectrum themselves about these portrayals and some of the pseudoscience and myths behind it, some of the negativity around it, some of the positivity as well. You know, it's a two-sided coin. But... Uh, with no further ado, Spectrum Director, Anna Sherist. Hello. Thanks for being here, Anna. Really appreciate it. We'll be talking with you. And our other guest tonight, Tom McCoy. Well, we are welcoming back autism expert and a little friend of yours, Dr. Joe, Dr. Gagan Joshi. That's so true. Thank you so much for coming back, Dr. Joshi. Um, and it's, it's, I'm really looking forward to this discussion tonight because um, the two of you, uh, you know, are, are our thought leaders in how we really are going to address the way people are viewing autism. So uh, why, don't we, why don't we start? Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you will, but also how you got interested in this remarkable project. Well, I went to school at Champlain College for filmmaking, and I remember taking a filmmaking class, a documentary filmmaking class in my sophomore year. And for the longest time, I, it's not that I didn't like documentaries, it's just they never really captured my interest as much as fictional movies. But this time, I made a documentary about a local charity that, um, is, that does environmental activism, 350. Um, Let's see, 350.org. They have a chapter in Burlington, Vermont. And then I realized, you know, I can really reach people. I can reach people about all these really important subjects. And college is when I started to really do some self-assessment, as a lot of people will say. Um, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which is now an outdated term when I was four years old. But my mother didn't really, my parents decided they wouldn't tell me until I was a little bit older, like when I was seven, eight. So they didn't want me going to kindergarten thinking I was different. Mm. I mean, fair enough. That's a very difficult age to be told you're different. That's it. And wow. well, I didn't really get it because, well, I mean, I got it, but I wasn't too happy with it because this was about 2003. This is the year when there were Autism Speaks PSAs everywhere. I remember this was also around the same time there was some got milk autism PSAs, where it's like, does your child got autism? And it was correlating and now debunked theory that milk and lactose can induce autism in children. Yeah, and gluten. And gluten. Ah. 
And that was 2003. And Dr. Joshi, you were you were already interested in this field around then. Were you not? When did you start? Uh, well, I started in 2003. I was as a fellow and, and yeah. I was interested in the field while I was in child working with my colleagues and uh, working on mood disorders. I, I realized that there were these children who were not only having emotional difficulties or attention problems, but they had this kind of social challenges and difficulties, which sometimes were the source of their emotional dysregulation. And, and that, that made me curious about them because once we treated their emotional difficulty, we still found them struggling and, and, and oftentimes becoming depressed. Uh, that's when we realized that there's more to it. And in the social realm, there's something they're struggling with, with the social dance. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm gonna ask you, I'm just curious, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist, so and psychiatrists have a tendency to ask questions. You know, one of the things I've noticed that everybody has a very different response to when they come to know uh, they have uh, autism spectrum or Asperger's. And some of them do feel relieved that at least some things now make sense. Why do I behave this way? Or why do I act in a certain way? Did that bring some clarity to you in some ways or was it, uh, is something as a stigma? Actually, it was, a, it was both. I always felt like I was sort of the odd one out in the early elementary school. And then my mother explained it to me and I'm like, well, that explains it, but I'm not happy because this is also around the time when there was a lot of like, you know, we will find a cure for autism, march to find a cure for autism. And, you know, this is also around the same time when it was fun to pick on the special needs kids at school and use the R slur. So I thought, oh God, I'm dead. I'm gonna spend the rest of my high school years, I mean, my, my elementary school and school years being the target of ridicule. I hate this, I hate this. Why'd I have to be born this way? I just, I was just filled with so much self-loathing and I, and it wasn't just me. It's like in sixth grade, I had a teacher who, would often single me and other kids with 504s and IEPs out. She would accuse us of not paying attention, not doing homework, not understanding. And our parents had to intervene, say, stop singling out our kids, give them a chance. She goes, well, if any child has an IEP, they belong in special ed. And it was her last year of, of like teaching. She's about to retire. And I guess she just wanted an easy ride during her last year and presumed that we'd be problems. And that just fueled such an internalized ableism in me. And I even started to lash out other special needs kids because I thought that, you know, their existence, dare I say, was the reason why I was being criticized by my peers and by my, my teachers. I mean, and, and as an adult, I understand I was projecting, but it was still very hard. I just, I felt like, you know, and I just felt like autism was a stigma. It was something derogatory. I tried to like, I pretty much mastered the art of masking. I tried everything I could to be the good student, the mature student, the kid who understood sarcasm, the social student. Mm. And I even came to, came to a point where I would actually flex it against other autistic students, which was not fair of me. But again, it was just, it's actually what led to me wanting to make this documentary. It's that growing up, it was always a joke, a tragedy, something only boys had in media. And I thought if maybe I grew up with more positive 
like visions of autism in media or maybe more girls I can relate to or maybe it was portrayed not as this burden to be handled with or cured but just something to live with would I have been treated that way would I have felt that way about myself and others mm. like I think really for my actions but it's something that like, I think about a lot yeah, I mean, it is, even the concept of, of special needs can somehow be derogatory. But um, Dr. Joshi, let me let me just go to you for a moment. You, you've worked with with Spectrum folks for years now. Is there something about media and stigma and stigma just in general, the way Anna was talking about? Uh, so I would I would like to hear Anna what stigma she's talking about because as I as I was talking to you earlier about that I see the way autism is portrayed in the media. There's autism portrayed in the media, which is obviously stated as autism. And then there is autism portrayed in the media without being stated as autism, uh, mm. the different movies. I actually use the autism portrayed in media um, as one of my ways of describing this very non-verbal disorder. Actually, autism is so, such a non-verbal disorder that you have to experience it by meeting people who have it. And when I'm teaching fellows, it's hard to describe what exactly autism is. And when I give them examples of movies, like uh, I'm from an old time person, like Rain Man, that is one autism. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite is another autism. Big Bang Theory is another oh. autism. And, and when I but talk- what about, the, what about the good doctor, right? Isn't the good doctor? Or Data. Right, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's portrayed a certain way. Go on. I didn't mean to cut you off, Joji. So I I I just use these different because I think spectrum is such a spectrum that you know it presents in so many different ways. Uh, so I I try to sort of give them a sense of what what this disorder feels like because it can't be described just in plain simple words. Um, having said that, um, there I see a huge struggle in in the autism community, and I'm bringing this up. Is, is this whole concept of like somebody called Asperger's as Anna was now that has been robbed and it's called autism spectrum disorder. Then the whole idea of continuum of, of a disorder and, and the general population and neurodiversity. Uh, I think this, this has become a, a big struggle. And, and, and I feel like that we need to break out of this kind of a dichotomous mold and see that these autistic traits are omnipresent in the society in various degrees. Everybody has some traits. Uh, I, I say this again and again, that if I use a screener of autism in the audience of thousand people, nobody's gonna come out zero on autistic traits. Mm. Everybody will have some traits and they will be different in different people, but it is the accumulation of number and the severity of traits which if it causes impairment, that's when we come in. Uh, that's where the help comes in. And that continuum, I think it helps not to see the special ed. I, I do not like the special ed in many different ways. One is it segregates them. Second is person who is socially struggling, they are in a milieu of kids who are very socially challenging for them. So it makes their social struggle worse at times. And, uh, and I'm assuming you're intellectually uh, very capable. Uh, these kids are intellectually very capable and they're around people who usually oftentimes 
are intellectually also struggling. So that creates a very kind of a sort of the struggle you and I described is uh, surrounded by people who you're not able to relate to. And then the whole idea that I, I don't belong with them. I mean, there's a huge struggle going on that Asperger's should have been kept as a category. I, I, I always tell people that do not talk about the diagnostic categories or the labels, talk about your uniqueness. And Anna, as you said, that autism, you don't have to overcome the whole autism. You just have to work enough to overcome the struggles in autism. And you, you be who you are. And, and, and part of you is autism. You're not, everything is not autism in you. It is an aspect of you, which, has, which is autism, which you constantly work on. Mm. So, what do you think, Anna? How does that relate to you? Well, there's a lot I can say about that. Well, I personally am not a big fan of the whole idea that we're all a little autistic. I mean, I know that everyone has traits that we've seen as autistic, but autism is a neurodivergent makeup. So by saying we're all a little autistic kind of kind of erases that. It's like saying we're all descended from Africa. That doesn't really undo the last, that doesn't really undo this Jim Crow era. It just kind of sounds like you're kind of trying to distract from that. And as for stigma, well, let's see. Well, let's see. So I'm, I have a lot to say about this in general. Like I agree that um, we shouldn't really use dichotomy because for a long time, again, I was really insecure. I took comfort in the fact that I was high functioning autistic by saying that, well, at least I'm not low functioning, at least I'm not like this, but the whole functioning label dichotomy is actually toxic for both people. For high functioning, they have to be, they have to live up to the expectation that they're high functioning all the time, which can lead to burnout. And as for low functioning people, it dismisses them before they even have a chance to really show who, what, who they are, what they're capable of. And I realize now how toxic that is. As for getting rid of um, Asperger's syndrome in the DSM, I'm kind of okay with that after doing some more research about um, Hans Asperger and how he basically um, did his research and the children that suffered at his hands. I'm not sure if this is common knowledge at, at, for, for people on this who listen to this. I'm not quite sure how I can get into it. It's very dark, but. Go ahead, Anna. That's what the okay. Dr. Joe show is about. Let's go. All right. Well, for a long time, Hans Asperger was almost likened to Oscar Schindler. He saved these children's lives. He got to know them. He learned about Asperger syndrome, about autism spectrum disorder. But in reality, he, his, um, well, you see, he colluded with the Nazi party. A lot of his funding came from the Nazi party. And hmm. His studies were basically ways to make autistic children easier to handle, and dare I say, even less autistic, bring out the good traits and get rid of the bad traits. Basically, he wanted to make them grow up and to become obedient little Nazi scientists who could use their STEM skills for, to aid the party. And if they were unteachable, he arranged them to be sent to the camps. Or uh, Spiegelgrunds, which was a, uh, uh, you know, the fun term is child killing facility. But for those who are interested in the macabre side of history, uh, the book Asperger's Children by Edith Sheffer uh, goes into graphic detail on uh, mm -hmm. the man and his work. 
I started to read that and I had to take a break. It was so dark. It and is, yeah. I will be using that as a source for my documentary when I go when I go over the part about functioning labels and how Asperger's syndrome was thrown around in media a lot and why it's suddenly not being used in media. I'm kind of not comfortable using the name of a Nazi scientist anymore. I just prefer to say I'm on the spectrum. It's It doesn't have a functioning label and no one knows where I am. They have to get to know me. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I, I certainly appreciate the uh, the wisdom that you're sharing with us and, and the history. You too, Tom. Um, when, when you think, well, let me ask you this way. How do you see yourself? How would you describe yourself, Anna? Well, I'm on the spectrum, but I could easily pass for someone who's neurotypical. And to some people, that's a privilege because... I don't know, like, even as a kid, I was very social. Eye contact wasn't a really big issue for me. I actually like to try new foods. I mean, I still had some sensory issues here and there. Usually, like, when I was younger, I was almost too social. I guess that's where the social cues didn't come in. Like, I was, I guess you can say invasive, like, people's personal space. Maybe I asked too many impersonal questions. Maybe I got too excited. And there was a time when I didn't understand sarcasm, but then I turned 13 and then I, that's all I spoke. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> was that sarcastic? Perhaps. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> but honestly, like as I've gotten older, I'm like, I'm not saying I outgrew my autism. It's like, as I grew, certain ass things don't, str I don't struggle with anymore. Like as an adult, I am just, I am just like the, the most dry, sarcastic person you'll ever work with. To the point where mm. my coworkers even think I'm being serious. That's a skill. It's a skill to have. It is. It, <laughs> it does get frustrating when you realize you might have overshot your sarcasm ability. Has that I ever mean, happened to you, Tom? Never. <laughs> and I think also working in retail has allowed me to filter myself because trust me, there was a lot I wanted to say during my retail days I did not say. And can I ask you one question? As you grow older, and I'm curious about, I'm very interested in this. Did you overcome, if you had any sensory dysregulation, did you overcome that to some extent? Did it become a little bit more, less uh, intense, less severe? That's actually kind of a weird thing that sort of changed but stayed the same. When I was younger, a lot of sensory used to hype me up, maybe because I was a kid. Like loud music, I would just run around, bounce off the walls. And then I started developing depression when I was a teenager. And it wasn't really manageable until 2019 when I found the right antidepressants. And now a lot of sensory actually kind of drains me. I don't melt down, I shut down. It's like, I, I can't do this. I don't have the energy to deal with this. It also can kind of stress me out, but again, it's not to the point where I'm like screaming, crying, self-harming having a seizure, thank God. Um, I just I just say, you know, I'm really drained. Can we just move someplace else? It's also why I'm not, I actually don't like being in restaurants when it's busy. Something about being surrounded by chatter just really just is too much. Mm. And when I'm on the phone at my job, I say, do you have me on speaker? Can you take me off? There's a lot of background noise. Yeah. Well, no, the, the, the ability to tolerate different sensory stimuli is is critical 
Anna, does the documentary have a name? Have you got a name for it yet? Well, the working title is literally Spectrum, but we were thinking mm. about maybe adding a subtitle like Autism and Media or something like that. Yeah, so, and, and you've been interviewing different people. I know you interviewed Tom. How are you, how are you finding your, uh, your folks to, to interview? Well, I have a great producer who has, who is great at networking. I found some blogs, some people blog about their autism um, experiences, and there's also some YouTubers. I contacted a few of them. That's how I actually got an interview with an autistic YouTuber called That Creepy Reading. He does a lot of like top 10 videos, mostly about like video games and horror movies and whatnot, but he did a top nine video called Top Nine Scams That Went Too Far. And I'll, several of the scams were cures for autism. And he's like, oh yeah, this makes me feel really great about myself. People are trying to scan desperate parents into curing their autistic kids by drinking bleach. And yeah, hmm. and I just I had to interview him and, he, and we talked about our own experiences. I also, I emailed Temple Grandin and she gave me a phone call. Great. Completely out of the blue and I recorded it. And while some of what she said did remind me of stuff she said at panels before, I actually asked some things about like, how would you, how would you react if someone said they disagree with you because such and such? And she's like, okay, I would just try to, try to think of a new solution. It's just, she understands that she, like, she's become somewhat of a controversial figure in the autism community and I can understand why. It's not that I disagree with her. It's just that I think a lot of her teachings are based on what she grew up with. And mm. society has changed. Understandings of raising a child has changed. And she says, you know, I have a hard time giving advice without specific examples, which is fair. Mm -hmm. I have to ask for specific examples too when it, when it comes to giving advice. Have you, have you found that anybody people don't want to talk about it because of the stigma and not wanting to reveal that they have autism? Oh, yes. I was terrified to tell my employers I was on the spectrum. I was mm. terrified by telling me interview, they would not even hire me on the spot. I just, and I kept it to myself. And then they're like, how are you, why are you having a hard time listening to the, all these like people on speaker? And I'm like, because I have a sensory processing disorder. Okay. I'm on the spectrum. And I felt back into a corner. They're like, oh, we're, we're so sorry. And they were very sympathetic. And they're like, you know, I have nieces and nephews that are on the spectrum. And next time, just say, Can, is it convenient for you to take me off a speaker? And that was that. Well, I, th I think, Anna, that was great, actually, that you did not front load it that I have autism. You only brought it up when it was necessary for you to reveal it. I, 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 I think that was, that was perfect. In fact, I have uh, the problem with my patients is that they then put that tag on, uh, they tell everyone, I have autism. And, and anything they do, oh, I have autism. And I, and I tell them, everything you do is not autism. And you don't have to advertise this, that you have autism. It's a personal thing. You have to keep it to yourself. But if needed, you, you, you talk about it. So I'm, I'm, that was great. No, that's also a bit of a thing that, you know, is a bit difficult for us. Like, a lot of us think that we should be able to just say I have autism and not expect a lot of backlash or to be assumed that we're going to be an issue. I felt like I had to prove myself before I could tell anyone. And in that, that there's a bit of the stigma there. Like, 
I couldn't tell I had autism in the interview because they would probably not hire me. And only when, until I was backed in a corner did I have to reveal my, that I was autistic. It's like I said, it's like, it's masking, but it's just, it's just so much. It would just be nice to say I'm autistic or I'm on the spectrum and people not make a big deal out of it. They just go, okay. And then continue to treat me like I'm not different. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm go, on, I'm, I'm, no, go on, go on. I'm so curious. Anna, when, when you came to know about your autism, was it explained to you that what is the profile of your autism? Uh, did you have that conversation with the doctor? Yes, and with my mother. I was seeing a child psychologist at the time. And yeah, I'm glad that happened because it's important to know what exactly is your autism. And my mother was also had the foresight to think to get me a bunch of children's books about autism, like, you know, where the narrator or the, the author like was uh, autistic or had Asperger's. Like at the time there was, it was all these kids books about people with that, about kids with Asperger's. But even as a kid, I'm like, these are all boys. Mm. All the main characters are boys. I'm like, where's the girls? And I'm just, and there was also some of them I could not relate to. I'm like, mom, I suck at math. Why am I supposed to relate to this white boy, this little skinny boy who likes math? I'm just, I'm I'm kidding. It just. And why are they always good at math? I know. I hated math in school. I hated math. I was, I was the kid who liked to draw and read books. So Anna, once you came to know your autism and you became aware of it, did you notice any of those things in other family members uh, in your family um, sharing similar uh, challenges, some of them? Well, that's a bit of a story in itself is that I actually had a cousin I just still do have a cousin who's nonverbal autistic and he is a few years younger than me. I'm about to be 27 this Saturday. He's, Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. He's um, almost 24. And when I was seven years old and uh, when he was four years old, he was still wearing diapers. He wore diapers all through elementary school, middle school and high school. He still wears diapers. He only eats four foods. He is nonverbal. He um, has seizures, he breaks stuff. And to me, autism was that. And I'm like, oh God, no, I don't want to be like him. And I just, mm -hmm. I just thought of, and I also had another cousin who was the stereotypical weird kid who had Asperger's. So I thought, oh God, no, I'm going to be like them. I mean, as an adult now, I realize that's just a horrible thought all children seem to have. You know, I don't want to be like X member of my family, or I don't want to be the weird kid, but I mean, just as like when I was younger, I was just disgusted by the idea of autism. I, I know that's horrible, but as a kid, I just thought of it as like this horrible thing where you're either really weird and annoying or you're an infant. You well, write about this that because at that time, autism meant uh, someone who's nonverbal, like Rain Man, just close, a non-communicative, right? So that that was the stereotypic uh, you know, understanding of autism at that time, right? Yes, but you know, I just didn't want to be like, I just didn't want to be these portrayals of people who were just, this is going to sound so ableist, but that's how I felt. I just felt like they were handicapped and I didn't want to be handicapped and I didn't want to be weird. I just wanted to be me. And I felt by having this label on me, I was now lumped into them and I was afraid everybody would see me just like them. It's why, like I said, I started acting out and lashing out people who were also neurodivergent if they were on the same functioning level as me. You're right, okay. though. It does set the expectation that 
so for an example, and uh, I told you about this is uh, often I'll people will ask like, are you on the spectrum or you know somehow it'll come up a conversation and I'll say yes I am, and uh, there's one particular I remember it was a date said, but you seem fine. <laughs> I had something similar. Um, I was explained to a classmate of mine. This is like ninth grade, by the way, that I was on the spectrum. He goes, "But you're a girl," and I'm like, "Yes." He goes, "Girls can't be autistic," and I just walked away. I was done. I was so done. I just couldn't take. It, it is. It is highly underrecognized in girls, uh, mm. and, and sometimes the diagnosis is so delayed. So at, at some level, Anna, you're lucky that it was recognized early enough. Mm -hmm. And oh. I would also, like, whenever I would bring up that I had Asperger's, they'd be like, wait, does that mean you're a psychopath? I hear autistic people can't feel empathy. Or they would say stuff like, does that mean you're an R word? Or they would say, like, they would ask me all these really weird questions. Like, because I was the autistic girl, I would automatically know everything about autism. They'd be like, what is it with R words and liking Thomas the Tank Engine? I'd be like, how am I supposed to know? Hmm. So, so one of the things, Anna, what, what I noticed with autism is that with the gender comes a cultural and a social demand mm -hmm. of the types of clothing you need to wear, uh, the kind of makeup to put on to be that so-called girly girl. Uh, how, how did you address or face those challenges? I actually didn't mind it so much. The only issue I had a problem with was corduroys because there was a time when corduroys were everywhere like in the late 90s early 2000s I didn't like the way it felt otherwise I liked wearing skirts I don't really wear them as much anymore I liked wearing makeup to the point where mom said Anna you're you're going to school you're not going to a nightclub at least a low <laughs> take a little bit off just a little bit and I liked painting my nails I still like painting my nails and I think the like I was actually mentioning this with, this with Thomas during our interview is that I think the biggest societal pressure is that girls are expected to be social, especially in middle school and elementary school. They're expected to have a clique. They're expected to be able, to, they're supposed to be the mature ones, dare I say. And I just made a point to try to be as social as possible, but then I, I burnt myself out. I was sick of people judging me before they got to know me. I was sick of having to explain myself. I was sick of people presuming the worst in me before they got to know me, especially teachers. So I basically just stopped socializing, went into my studies, and every time someone got within two feet of me, I'd basically swear at them to get away from me. So, so Anna, if you, if you, you went through that, yourself, if you have a message for a 14-year-old girl who is struggling with this high-functioning or, or the intellectually capable uh, autism, what would you like to tell her? Is there a message you want to give her uh, which can help her negotiate through the, the, that difficult patch which you have successfully negotiated? All right. I would tell her that she's not alone. I know she might feel like she's alone. I feel like I was alone, but you're not alone. I mean, as an adult woman, I found so many people online that I can relate to now more than ever. Mostly, like, seeing all these neurodivergent women on, my, on Facebook and on Instagram, it made me feel less alone. And when I saw Julia on Sesame Street, I she's an autistic Muppet that they introduced. I just remember crying and crying and crying. Where was this little autistic Muppet girl when I needed her? Where was she when I felt invisible, but also scrutinized? But then 
I realized that little girl is going to be there for someone else who needs her. So just know that media is changing and you will see yourself more and more in media. Mm. There's already a Pixar short called Loop about a nonverbal autistic girl and I love it. It's just exactly what I want to see in autism portrayals in media. It's a form of the spectrum. It's a girl. It's a girl who's not white because not every autistic person is white. She stims. She has sensory issues. She has meltdowns. And the whole point of the document of the film is not let's fix her. It's just let's befriend her. And her one of her other class, her like um, a camping mate or like a classmate just gets tries to get to know her. He doesn't try to fix her or discover the puzzle. He just is trying to spend a day with her. Uh, and this is this is such a key in just being able to get to know people, to appreciate them for who they are, not who you want them to be. Mark, you, you've been quiet. Yeah, I know you've been listening attentively, but what do you think of, of this discussion so far? It's fascinating, um, Dr. Joe, and um, you know, learning from Anna, just understanding that you know there's probably a lot of people out there that you may not be aware are part of this group of people. And uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's quite fascinating. One of the things I did notice though, when Dr. Um, Joshi was going through the list of folks uh, portrayed in the media, Anna had a reaction when he talked about Rain Man. <laughs> was that uh, purposeful? Was there something about Rain Man that you didn't like? Well, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with that movie. I mean, the cinematography is amazing, the score is amazing, but I feel like it's the blueprint for all the mis like the terrible portrayals in autism that persists to this day. It's about a family member learning to appreciate the autistic person, even though they're supposed to like you just like, you're a burden, but I appreciate you. I understand you. It's about yeah. using the autistic person to become a better person themselves. Like he goes from being a selfish jerk to someone who actually cares about his brother's well-being. The, I mean, I understand they might've gotten some things right, like the routine and the ecolia. And it's a basically just like, like I said, it's a white guy in an institution who's a savant, who's basically used to um, prop up the main character who's not autistic, you know, mm -hmm. a, plot, a plot device autistic character. And I don't, I, and I, I, I'm just so sick of seeing that in media. And I say, and I think, you know, it all traces back to this. And it's also, a, this is also something I've been thinking about, talk about my documentary. It's a non, it's a um, neurotypical person portraying an autistic person. And it's not like the mother of an autistic child portraying an autistic Muppet, like with Julia, it's a, not, a neurotypical man portraying an autistic man who's institutionalized. And it's almost like he's lampooning what autistic people are. It's the same thing with the new horrible Sia movie, Music. She portrays an autistic girl and she like makes funny faces. She eats gum off of benches. She at one point is restrained for her own good. And it's just- And it's a, it's a form of restraint that uh, kills you. Mm. Yeah, it, she gets sat on. Yeah, I mean, I, it's almost like, dare I say it, it's like when old school Hollywood, when they would have white people wear tons of makeup and then suddenly they're a different race. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. 
So, so Anna, if, if you have to suggest some movies where you feel that the portrayal is is uh, pretty, much, pretty much close to reality, which ones would you suggest? I mean, I, I just want your suggestions so that I can I can watch them and then maybe suggest others. Well, let's see. One is Mary and Max, even though it's a animated film and they do have a neurotypical man voice an autistic character, it's still based on a real person who existed. It's about a little girl in Australia becoming pen pals with a man in New York who's diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Another one is actually community. Abed is autistic. You cannot tell me otherwise. And I actually relate to him a lot, mostly with my younger self. It's called Community? Yeah, it's a TV show that was on NBC. Um, it's about a community college. It's kind of like those late, like early 2010s work comedies, but this one's at a community college. And one of the characters named Abed, he's a Middle Eastern character and he's a film major, which I can appreciate. And he, his mannerisms remind me a lot of when I was younger, but unlike say Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory, the joke is he's different, let's laugh at him. The joke <sighs> is more like he has a point. Like he's very, almost the joke is that it, it, like so much of what he says is so meta, so self-aware about the show itself. But what about The Good Doctor? What do you think about that one and that portrayal? I actually have not seen that yet. I've heard very mixed things about that from the community. Some people like that, you know, it's a, it's a like they show meltdowns, they show that he's capable of socializing. Other people say, you know, it's another white guy, it's another STEM field, it's another, let's feel, let's learn about him so we can sympathize with him, what stories. I also like, honestly, this is gonna sound really weird, but honestly, in Kanto, the Disney movie, I actually relate to Mirabelle a lot. Like. A lot of autistic people are more or less adopted in Kanto as the autism allegory movie because mm. almost all the main characters we relate to in some way. The being over like the sensitive hearing one, the pressure to perform, masking, people taking what you say the wrong way. Interesting. It's a terrific, terrific movie. What a what a great movie when everybody has these special powers but she doesn't of course she does and the like a lot of people are saying like you know like i i feel like when i ask people like what autistic characters do you like or autism portrayals do you like it's almost always either autism coded characters or autism allegory movies instead of outright movies about autism you know this is a a terrific conversation we could have it for for so much longer but we're Running out of time. So I, I just want to get to the I am for moments. So remember, the I am is saying everyone's doing the best they can, but we're influenced by four domains, the home, the social, the biological, and the I see. How do I see myself? How I think other people see me? We're talking a lot about all four of these domains. But because the domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. That's the first truth. Small changes can have big effects. And the second truth is, Everyone's interested in what you think about them, which has an effect on their biological domain. So you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. I'm gonna ask both of you these two questions. I'll start with you, Dr. Joshi. Small changes can have big effects. What small change can you recommend to our listeners so they can 
learn more or, or manage more about Asperger's and autism? The small change, so I'll bring it this time from my clinical realm. A small okay. change could be to know about your own autism and also for the family to know what autism features they share and where their features are coming from, because I strongly believe it's a highly familial disorder and the traits come from the family members, either mother's side or the father's, is to be aware how you're connected to your family through what common traits. Uh, mm. This small change, I would say, that, will, that brings a big change in the interpersonal relationship within the family. So there's a way to, to relate to each other and the familiarity. The other truth, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Dr. Joshi, what kind of influence are you hoping to be? Uh, I just, I just, as I told last time too, I just want to walk right behind you and, and, and enjoy the journey. Hmm. And I know that I'll be influenced and I'll be influencing. Wonderful. Anna, same two questions. Small changes can have big effects. What small change can you recommend to our listeners? Well, I think one small change would be to look up autism media that doesn't center around the parents or guardians. Maybe look for books that were written by autistic people, maybe even autistic women. And are there books like that? I mean, Temple Grandin has been writing some books for a long time. Yes, there's actually a book I just read. Um, one is, let me just grab this. It's this is actually a book. It's written by a Hispanic man, but it is great. It's called We're Not Broken. Great. By Eric Garcia. It's okay. all, I bookmarked it for <laughs> See. But it's all about <laughs> autism portrayals in media, as well as how a lot, he interviews several people from several different walks of life about like several different ethnicities ages genders and, and then and he asked them what it was like for them and anna you control no one you influence everyone you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be anna caress what kind of influence do you want to be i want people to know that autistic people's voices are valid and that we come from all different walks of life and when you understand us for who we are, instead of, and instead of what, like, you know, instead of just our diagnosis, you can really see who we are and see what we're capable of. And our value is not defined by sight, but by ourselves. Terrific. Really looking forward to seeing the documentary. Everyone, thank you so much for coming tonight. It's been a great education. Good night, everyone.